say, good morning, church. All right, or should I, it's almost good afternoon. We're so close, we're so close. But hey, I am Matt and I am the youth director here at CLC. And let me tell you, I am so glad each and every one of you are here today. My hope is that you walked through the front door and didn't sneak in the back door. You probably walked through our silent auction. Anybody see it out there? Yeah, that was wild, right? We got teenagers here at 7 a.m. <clears throat> I'm just gonna hang my hat on that one. So let me tell you, those kids that are out there wearing these lovely teal shirts are going to Belize this summer. We have a group of 26 people that are leading a team to Belize in the middle. Of, we, I, I'm gonna say it one more time. We have teenagers that wanna leave the country to serve Jesus. Your church has that. That's wild. I told the first service that sometimes I'll look at our students that are going on the trip and say, you guys are weirdos. I want you to understand, and they usually get offended, and then I'm like, no, 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 I didn't say that to offend you. I want you to understand that you are countercultural. You're leaving your country and your comfort in the middle of summer to go serve the Lord in another country. It's going to be an amazing thing. Here's where you fit in. Here's where you can be part of it. Every single penny that we raise on all of those items is going to go directly to support these kids going to Belize. This trip is $1,800 a piece. It's a difficult check to write. So if we all band together, I'm telling you, the, the work that can be done in Jesus' name and, and representing your church, it's going to be off the chart. So here's how you can help. Go to clc.life slash auction, and you can bid on any of the items. The bidding is open till 8 a.m. Nope, let's go p.m. What time is it? We're at 8 p.m. tonight. You can go and be a part of it. So you don't have to be here. You can be anywhere. But 8 p.m., you can bid and go bid on any of those items. Again, every single cent is going to serve in another country. You want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that. Today, what we're going to be a part of is worshiping the Lord. So what we're going to do now is we are going to say the Lord's Prayer together. And then I'm going to pray. And then we're going to begin our service and, and begin singing praises to God. So everybody, would you would you stand up with me as you're able? We're going to say the Lord's Prayer together. And then, and then I'm going to pray for us. Let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Lord God, we, we come together and we are thankful. We're coming to you today as a, as a church family with our hands open, ready to praise you today, ready to receive today. God, for those of us that have had just an incredibly long week with all the things of this world, God, we pray that you would, you would serve up relief. You would deliver relief. God, for those of us that are on just cloud nine, on, on a mountaintop, God, would you, would you serve us some wisdom today? God, as we leave here today, I pray that the words that, that Scott brings us today, the, the words of the songs today would echo in our hearts all week, and then we might draw closer to you. God, we pray all these things. In the name of your son, Jesus, amen. Join us in worship this morning, church. Sing, you make it easy.
name of Jesus this morning. Jesus, the name. Jesus, the name above every other. Jesus. Jesus, the only one who could ever save. You are worthy, Lord. God that is so consistent 
and so sure that we can build our our lives on on the foundation of him and know that no matter what uh, life throws our way that that foundation won't be shaken that no matter what challenges or or difficulties uh, we face we know how the story ends right we know that our God is in control and is in charge and we can lean on that we also know that our God provides everything we need and then some you know he doesn't he doesn't just uh, just leave us out there with uh, with uh, with a hope and a prayer. He leaves us with with all that we need, especially with His presence. And so, as we sing this next song, I just pray that uh, that we would lift that up and remember that, and remember that He is more than enough for us today. There is healing in the power of the Lord Most High. There is courage in the shadow of His wings. There is peace unending over all my life. There is freedom that washes over me. I find all I need here in Your presence, Lord. I open up my and you fill me up with all I need here in your presence Lord where blessings overflow there's always abundantly more there is rest the goodness of the Lord my God. There is treasure in the kindness of my King. And there is comfort in knowing your unfailing love. My provider, you set my spirit free. Yeah. I find all I need here in your presence, Lord.
presence, Lord. I open up my soul and you fill me up with all I need. Here in your presence, Lord, where blessings overflow, there's always abundantly more. Father God, we thank you for being our provider being the one that gives not just the things that we need, God, but that gives good things that are such blessings to us, Lord, giving us everything we need and more. Father, your word says that you clothe the lilies and you watch over the sparrows and how much more would you do for those that you've created in your image? Father God, we thank you that, that you provide so consistently and that we can build our lives on the foundation of your love and faithfulness to us. God, I pray that any in here that are, that are walking through a, a valley of life right now, any, any trials or, or, or struggles or challenges that are in this room today, God, that, that they would know that you love them dearly and that they can trust that you are in control. Father God, I thank you for the transformations you've been doing in this building these last few months, God. And I thank you for the, the hearts that you're going to heal in the next few months. Lord, bring them on. We're excited to see what you're doing, God, and we thank you that we get to be a part of it. Father God, we love you. We thank you. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Before you guys are seated, make some new friends. Turn around, greet the people around you, shake some hands, learn some names, all that good stuff. If you're with us online, we are so glad you decided to join us today. We'll be back with you shortly. All right, don't have a problem down front here. We're going to have to deal with this front crew. Well, good morning. Hope everybody's doing good this morning. I want to welcome you, and thank you for joining us today at Community Life Church on this gorgeous Sunday morning. My name is Scott Verano, and I'm the lead pastor here at Community Life, and it is an honor to have you here in our family room or to have you joining us online. Um, it is not lost on us that there are a lot of places you could be on a beautiful Sunday like today, and um, it means the world to us that, that you would spend this time with us. At Community Life, we love God, we love our neighbor, and we believe that our mission is to connect people to Jesus, because we believe that Jesus is the source of life. And our hope is that once you discover the source of life, that you will allow it to give you life, yes, but then that you will connect as many people as you know um, to that same source. And if there's anything we can do to stand alongside you in this crazy journey, we would love to be able to do that. Um, so a couple quick announcements, and um, I'll start by saying this. Today's been one of those crazy days. We've had people pass out, we've had ambulances, we've had fire trucks, we ran out of bread, God multiplied the loaves. I mean, it's been insane. And so I, for me, it's like a sigh of relief. I've gotten to the, this service, and um, y'all ready to have some fun? Good, all right, this is where we can, this is where the service will act, the sermon will actually be good. It's all gonna work, it's all gonna come together. Everything I tried on those first two groups, this one's gonna be the best, I promise. So um, a couple quick announcements, and then jump into that message. Uh, as you walked in, you saw the silent auction out front, uh, Matt said it when we started, thank you. Um, if you have businesses or if you donated things, thank you for doing that because it just helps these students um, get out into the mission field. And if you're bidding on the stuff, thank you because all of that resource 
uh, goes right back into allowing them to get out there and to connect people to Jesus. And uh, Matt told me that um, everything this year is done digitally, so it's not lost on me that as we're going through this sermon, many of you will be changing your bids. So, <laughs> so if I look down and if I look at you and you're out there just flipping like this because you don't want anybody to outbid you, I know what's going on. I got it. And um, I trust. It's all, it's all for Jesus. Amen? Okay. Um, and then uh, I want to tell you about Holy Week services. Now, we're a little bit ahead to be making this announcement, but just to prepare you for what's coming up. So Holy Week this year is in a different, is in a weird spot. It's during spring break. So some of you may be out of town. You may be traveling. But we have multiple services during Holy Week, the last week of March, um, a Monday Thursday service, which is a communion service, and then a Good Friday service. If you've, if you've ever been a part of traditional churches, you know what that is. And then on Saturday night, we'll have our first of the Easter services at 6 o'clock. Uh, things have grown so crazy, we have to have a service on Saturday night in order to get everybody in here on Sunday. So that kind of gives you the layout of the schedule. But I want to tell you, the Monday Thursday service this year, is, as it has been, is going to be awesome. We're going to set up a triclinium on stage, and we're going to have all of our disciples dressed up, and they're going to sit here, and we're going to walk through the Passover meal. And as you sit in the congregation, you will have a box with some of the elements of the Passover. Now, please don't hear me say we're going to have a Passover meal you will be sorely disappointed. We're going to walk through many of the elements, and so you're going to get a little taste of what that's like, but I'm going to tell you, it will connect you to your faith in such a unique and powerful way, and so that's going to be on Thursday night. And then on Friday night, we are going to, to work through the last seven sayings of Jesus on the cross. They're so impactful, but I encourage you to come to that service. It's a hard service to, to deal with. It brings you to a place to where you really consider Jesus on the cross, you know, our normal faith system, if you just go on Sunday, you come in on Palm Sunday and we're celebrating Jesus, and then you come in on Easter and we're celebrating Jesus, and you missed a real important part of your faith somewhere in the middle. It's called the crucifixion. So um, come and join us for that week. It's going to be awesome and, and just excited about it because we work really hard to connect you to the greater story. And then last but not least, this Friday, Greta is going to be leading a team of volunteers to help clean up the gardens and the grounds. So if you have a green thumb or if you just like to work in the garden, maybe you kill everything like I do, um, come on out. Greta's going to feed you at 830, say a prayer, and then she's going to turn you loose. And I think it's, it's not like we're going to keep you here till 7 or 8 o'clock at night. I think it only runs till 11. So if you got some time, jump on over and help out and help us to get the church ready for Easter. Okay, so we are in a series called Forever Changed, and this is our Easter series. And what we're doing is we're looking at the lives of seven individuals whose lives were forever changed by an encounter with Jesus. And so I need to start right off the top and tell you that this series is about Jesus. And we want you to encounter Jesus because we believe if you do, your life will be forever changed. But by looking at these seven individuals, what we're finding is that each one of them was walking through, struggling with, dealing with certain challenges in life that when they met Jesus, the arc of their life changed. And, and what we're realizing is that when you go back and you do the work, you discover that some of the things they were walking through are some of the very same things that we're walking through today. And if we can find out what Scripture has to say about that, then we can add it to our lives, we can understand it, and then we can allow that same arc to happen in our lives, and we can see what God um, can do with our lives going forward. So um, we started off, and, and I realize there's not going to be time to work through all of these recaps, but let me just tell you, week one, we talked about Matthew. And if you study Matthew's life, he was a tax collector. He dealt with being hurt and ostracized by the synagogue and by the religious order of the day. So really, that's a conversation about church hurt, 
So if you have church hurt in your life, go back and check out that first sermon. I think that'll be helpful. And then last week, we talked about Nicodemus, a religious ruling person himself. What does it mean to serve God your whole life, but then realize you never really knew God? Some of us, we need to deconstruct some of the things that we've been taught so that we can really construct our lives around God and the Holy Spirit and Jesus and the true message of faith. And so that's what Nicodemus represents. And so today, we have a video that will introduce you to the person we're going to be looking at. And um, I'm excited because this is a person that I think will connect to all of us in one way or another. So if you'll do me a favor and turn your attention to the screen and see if you can guess who this is before he tells you his name. I'm from Bethesda. I know the region pretty well. I grew up with Andrew and Peter and the Sons of Thunder. I followed John the Baptist way before I met Jesus. I figured I was looking for something. I knew there had to be more to life than just being a tradesman. With John, I wasn't sure what I was seeing, but I knew it was different. Man, did he shake things up. That dude ate bugs, locusts. Who does that? He did dip them in honey, but still. Anyway, he was so passionate, and he always said he was preparing the way for someone. We had no idea what he was talking about, but it sure beat whatever the tradesmen were doing that day. One day, we were baptizing a group of people on the shore. Now they call it Bethany beyond the Jordan. This dude walks up. He's got long hair and a scraggly beard. He and John seemed to argue just a bit, but then John dunked him just like he had everyone before him. Only this time, you're not gonna believe this, but a dove came down and it settled right on him. A big booming voice said, this is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Right then and there, I knew it. I had found what it meant to be more. I knew it was I was meant to help in a way that actually meant something, to tell people about this guy. So I began to follow him. Well, after he wandered off in the wilderness for 40 days. <laughs> so I knew that hole, the emptiness I had inside of me, was me looking for a way to do something meaningful. Not just for me, but also for others. See, growing up, I had always been a helper. But meeting Jesus, man, what a journey. He was such a good teacher, telling us stories and taking the Torah to a whole new level that I had never considered. And then the miracles. I saw things. Lepers were healed. Blind man saw. Even one of our old friends, Les. Yeah, he died. And uh, Jesus brought him back to life. I had to tell everyone. So I started with my buddy, Nathaniel. Well, he doesn't like to be called that. He prefers Bartholomew. Uh... I had him meet Jesus, and he said the same thing. This is the way to really help people. So we followed him. I am Philip, thankful to call myself a follower and an apostle. I met Jesus, and my life has been forever changed. I bet you didn't know that Philip looked like a Viking. We had so much fun shooting these videos and working through some of the facts. So who knew that was Philip? 
Who's never heard of Philip in your entire life? Okay, this is going to be a fun sermon today. Um, as we unpack Philip, um, what I'm finding is that, to me, the more I read, the more I study, Philip represents whatever normal is. I don't know if there's any normal thing anymore, but Philip kind of represents that normal person, the normal arc of life, somebody who's looking, somebody who's searching, has knowledge, trying to figure out what's next. And so in some ways, the message today in the scripture that we're going to look at really connects to all of us because it's really the arc of our faith and what God is looking for. Philip asks questions in real pertinent times that allows Jesus to give us insight in, or theological keys is one way to say, that help us to unlock our faith. And, um, and so as we go through and we study this, maybe you identify with Philip because you're not that big, boisterous Peter person. You're not John, I love everybody. You're just here and you're trying to figure out faith. And you're navigating through and maybe this is the one that, navigate, or this is the one that really speaks to your heart. So let me give you some context about Philip and then we'll read some of the scripture around him. But the first thing you, know, you need to know is that all of the stories that we have about Philip are found in the Gospel of John. Something interesting about John, he loves to develop characters, and I don't mean characters that aren't real. These are very real people, but he loves to give us insight that un unfolds the story. I don't know if there's a better way to say that, but that, that allows the story to unfold. So we get more about Philip than any of the other Gospels give us. In fact, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they list Philip's name but they don't give you any other information. But here's one interesting thing that scholars love to talk about. And I don't know if it means something, 100% maybe, probably 50% maybe. But whenever you see the list in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Philip is always listed fifth. Now you say, what does that have to do with anything? Now you could probably guess if you thought about it who the first four names always were. In, they might be in a little bit different order, but who were the first four? You got Peter and his brother, Andrew. And then you have James and his brother, John. They're always kind of mentioned in that same group. They run together. They're predominantly together. Um, Andrew might have been the outlier on that, but they're always listed first. But every time in the next list that you get, um, Philip is listed as fifth. And then he's commonly followed by a few other names. One of them is Nathaniel, who you're going to hear about today. And the other one is Thomas. And so scholars believe that maybe it's it's really a, a level of importance, and you see that those guys oftentimes show up together. So maybe Philip is kind of the one that led that second group of folks and took care of them, and when Jesus sent them out, maybe that's who he sent them out with. Why that matters, I have no idea. Just something that, that I thought was interesting that I, I read this week. Um, Philip is a Greek name. Um, you may say, well, Scott, what's his Hebrew name? None of us know. We only ever got his Greek name. Now, why is that important? Later on, we're going to read a scripture where Greek people connect to Jesus because they recognize Philip with a Greek name. So we never get his Hebrew name. We only get his Greek name, and the name means lover of horses. And so if you're here today and you're having a hard time paying attention to the preacher, but you love horses, maybe now you're connected because that's his name. I don't, we don't know anything about a horse. Maybe he's the one that went and found it. I have no idea. So there you go, lover of horses. Uh, he's from Bethsaida. Now, if you know anything about the, the layout of Israel, if you think of the Sea of Galilee, on the very northernmost shore of the Sea of Galilee is Bethsaida. It's also the hometown of Andrew and Peter. So more than likely, these guys would have all been connected together. But I think important for me to know where Bethsaida is, is that it's in close proximity to Capernaum. And you're like, well, what is Capernaum? Capernaum is the hometown where Jesus did all of his ministry. He launched out from there. He lived with Peter and his mother-in-law, Peter's mother-in-law, in Capernaum. And Jesus used that as a home base. So 
Bethsaida was right there, and that's where Jesus draws some of these disciples that end up following him all around the Sea of Galilee during that time. Um, And I, I think the other thing to note is many of these disciples started off their ministry by following John the Baptist first. And, and so as Jesus kind of got to know them, they, he picked up those disciples and they went along with him and they continued on in their ministry. And so the same is believed to be true for Philip, that maybe he was one of those disciples that followed John um, as well. So let's go ahead and, and look at the scripture. We're going to be reading four stories quickly through John. Um, to give you a snapshot of John, and then we're going to jump over to the book of Acts to kind of round out the arc of, of Philip's life to give you that, that bigger taste of, of maybe where he ends up. But in, in John, um, we start off with the story of John the Baptist. So John sets the stage, John the writer of the gospel, sets the stage with John the Baptist. And maybe what a piece of your knowledge of Scripture that you haven't put together yet is John the Baptist begins the momentum for Jesus. So he starts to call people to repentance. And as he says, repent for the kingdom is near and make straight the paths, all of these people start coming out of Jerusalem and from all over Israel. And where he strategically sets himself up, people have to go by him to get to Jerusalem, right there on the um, the Jordan River. So he's just calling them to repentance. Well, he starts to become pretty prominent. And people are coming from all over to go hear him. And so when John chapter one starts to unfold, you get this story of John the Baptist baptizing people. He has his disciples around and occasionally Jesus would walk by and John would say, there goes the son of God. And ultimately John's disciples said, where? Right there? And they started to follow Jesus. And what happens is James, John, and Andrew, I'm sorry, John, Andrew, and Peter in that initial beginning of that chapter, go to follow Jesus from their encounter starting off with John the Baptist. So when we get to verse 43 in chapter 1, um, we're going to find that Jesus already has a few disciples in tow, and now he's going to get ready to call the rest of the disciples. And so we're going to pick up in, in John chapter 1, verse 43, and it says this. It says, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found, everybody say found. He found Peter and said to him, follow me. Scholars love the idea that the first three disciples, the most prominent, just decided to follow Jesus. But Jesus, according to John, went and found Philip. There's something unique about Philip, about his evangelism nature, about his heart and his willingness to bring others along in the journey that Jesus just wanted to go and get him. And that's exactly what he did. He went and he found Philip and said to to him, follow me. Verse 44. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. So I told you where Bethsaida is. I told you that they were all from that same region, probably following John the Baptist, but maybe all knew each other, had shared these stories together. But look what Philip does in verse 45. A person who was just called, just invited to follow Jesus, does the same thing, and he invites someone else to go with him. Verse 45, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him about whom Moses and the law and all the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. So we learned something about Philip. Philip knows his scripture and he's searching. He wants to find out what this God is all about. And and Jesus, when he found him and called him, yes, Philip starts to follow him, but he's not just satisfied with that. He wants other people to witness this as well. And so in very short order, he turns around and he invites one of his buddies to come along with him. And so he tells him, he says, he's come out of Nazareth. Philip said to him, oh, and Philip said, oh, I skipped ahead. Verse 46, 
Oh, man, I jacked this whole thing up. Here we go. I told you this was going to be the best. Now I got to fix it, right? I'm sorry. So he said, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth, verse 46, Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, well, come and see. So can anything good come out of Nazareth? We hear that and it's lost on us. What does that mean? Nazareth is one of those little small podunk towns out in the hill country um, of Galilee, way out in the middle of nowhere. In fact, they probably don't even know anybody. Most of the people during this time didn't even know anybody from Nazareth, just a little small dinky town. And so it was known that when somebody said somebody's from Nazareth, they all say, can anything come out of Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? We heard scribes and Pharisees say that. It was part of the vernacular during that time that seemed to rise to the surface. And so Nathaniel is just responding in kind. Can anything good out of there? I love what Philip says. Philip says, come and see. Not you should go check him out. What does he do? He invites him along. And this word see becomes a marker of Philip's life. He's always inviting people to see, which tells us that for him, it matters what he sees. He wants to know more. He's looking for more. And so he's inviting people to come along with him to see and to notice what God is doing. Verse 47, when Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said of him, here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, where did you get to know me? And Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And I can imagine Jesus like, settle down, cowboy. Like, take it easy. He's like, just because I can see and I knew that you were there, let's see, there's a lot more for you to take in. Here's what I want you to hear. Philip has already helped to bring someone to a completely different place in life. And now we know that Nathaniel's life will be forever changed because Philip invited him along in the journey. So we're learning some valuable things about Philip. It matters to him what he sees. He knows his scripture. He's trying to understand. He's trying to wrap his mind around it. And he's going to bring people along in the journey. So as we flip ahead, um, the next story is found in John chapter 6, the feeding of the 5,000, which really was the last service. We ran out of bread. It was insane. And we had to pray that God would multiply the loaves and fishes right here in this building as all of the youth piled in. It was exciting. So here's an interesting exchange where Jesus actually tests Philip. Scripture tells us this. Why is this story given to us about Philip? Maybe because John is trying to develop his character. He's trying to let us know a little bit more about Philip. Many people believe that Philip was from this region where Jesus asked him this question. So maybe Philip has an insight that the other disciples don't know. But let me read for you the story and then we can talk about it. John chapter 6 verse 1. It says, after this, so Jesus has been doing these miracles all over the place. Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. And so as Jesus was healing people, thousands of people would follow them. They wanted to be healed or they knew someone that was sick or they wanted to find out what was going on. So everywhere they went, they had massive crowds of people that would follow them. Verse three, Jesus went up on the mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, the festival of the Jews was near. When he looked up and saw a large crowd coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, get ready, where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? He said this to test him, for he knew what he was going to do. Now imagine for a moment, you're traveling with Jesus. You've just kind of got to know him. You're seeing all these miracles, all these awesome things. You sit down on the hillside. Finally, you got away from the crowd. And then up over the hill comes 5,000 people. And Jesus leans over to you because you're from this region. And he says, 
Hey, Philip, where are we going to get bread for all these people? Imagine the uneasiness that you would feel. You'd be like, wait, what? That, like, I, there's nowhere. There's nowhere that you can get bread. Jesus knew that he was asking him the question, and there's a purpose for why he asked this, but I want you to feel the understanding of what Philip was like in that moment. Remember our guy who wants to see, he wants to understand? Jesus is now asking him, where can we get the food for this? Verse seven, Philip answered him, six months' wages would not be enough bread for each of them to get a little. And so scholars believe that this was Jesus saying, hey, Philip, can we feed these people? Do we have money for it? And Philip's like, not a chance, pal. There is no way in the world that we can do this. And what does Jesus do? You can participate. Exactly that, right? If you read on in the story, Andrew brings up this young boy who has some fish and some bread and Jesus blesses it and multiplies it and feeds all the people. And so really what Philip holds in the story is the one that says, this is impossible. And then Jesus does the impossible. For, so for somebody who wants to see, now he's starting to see. He's building a body of evidence. He's seeing the miracles that Jesus is doing. And he himself had to testify to the fact that there's no way that this could be done. The next story is found in John chapter 12, verses 20 through 26. We're not going to read it, but I'll, but I'll paraphrase it for you. Remember, um, remember, he has this Greek name, Philip. And so as you get into John chapter 12, you already have the resurrection of, not the resurrection, the, you have Lazarus come back from the dead, whatever that word would be. So Lazarus comes back from the dead, you have the triumphal entry, and there's all sorts of news blowing through Jerusalem about this Jesus. And there was this group of people that were Greek who want to find out more about Jesus, and they approach Jesus' disciples, but if you're Greek and you're looking at a bunch of Hebrew people, who's the one that you're going to approach? The one that's named Philip, right? Like, hey, maybe this guy, maybe we have some sort of a connection there. So they go to Philip and they say, Philip, we want to, listen to this, you can't make this up, see Jesus. So once again, you have Philip connecting people to Jesus. It's really powerful, this understanding of the word to see. And now we're getting to my favorite scripture, John chapter 14. Here we have Philip um, asking a question or making a statement that unlocks scripture for us in a way that I hope you can hold on to for the rest of your life. And, and before I read this, there's a part of understanding in this scripture that I want all of you to hear. Um, in this past week, we've had multiple families that have lost loved ones. And there's a truth about our theology that I want you to hold on to and to know, and you're going to find it right here. Jesus is preparing the disciples for what's going to happen next. He's already washed their feet. He's already told the disciples who's going to betray him, and now they're struggling. They're really struggling for what's about to happen, and it's less than 24 hours before Jesus is going to be in the tomb. Verse 14, or chapter 14, verse 1. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, pay attention to this, I will come again and will take you to be with or take you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. And so just for you to know, when you breathe your last breath, who is there to receive you? Jesus. Jesus says, I will come. I want you to know that if you've ever struggled with what end of life looks like or your loved ones, when they breathe their last breath, Jesus himself is there to welcome them and to walk them into eternity. That's powerful for us to hold on to. <clears throat> Verse four, 
And this is, verse four is masterful. Jesus says something that baits Thomas into asking a question. You ever ask a leading question and somebody says something and then it opens up the rest of the conversation? Verse four, he says, and you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Right, I love Thomas. Thomas is like, really? Quit talking in metaphors and just tell us something straight, right? He says, we don't know the way. And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth, and the life. Isn't it interesting to hear that in context? Jesus offering to the disciples an insight as to the importance of knowing Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do not know him. I mean, I'm sorry, you do know him and you have seen him. Verse eight, here comes our buddy Philip. I love Philip. He probably thinks he's gonna clear things up. Because he decides to make a statement to possibly speak on behalf of everyone else. And so here goes our buddy Philip. Philip said to him, Lord, what's that next word? Show. Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. You ever get to a point in life where you're just so frustrated, people are talking in circles, you're like, just, just show me what you're talking about, right? He leans over to Jesus, he's like, just, just show us the Father and we're going to be fine. All this way, the truth, and the life, that's all wonderful. Let's just make this simple. I want to see the Father. Isn't that interesting? What happens next is what I believe to be the arc of Philip's life. Because Jesus now starts to challenge Philip, his desire to see, and he calls him to a place of turning that seeing into believing. And so listen to the subtle shift of words as Jesus starts to answer or speak to what he just said. <clears throat> Excuse me. He says, Lord, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. Verse 9, Jesus said to him, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still don't know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, quote, show us the Father? Do you not believe, see that word, that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Verse 11, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, but if you do not, then believe in me because of the works themselves. And so he's, he says, you've seen enough to believe that what I'm saying is true. Now, verse 12 is what I think it all comes together. <clears throat> Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do and, in fact, will do greater works than these because I am going to the Father. Now, I'm going to tell you the church world has messed this scripture up and we turn it into a competition because we're going to do better things than Jesus. Jesus is talking about the plan for us to take on the mantle and now reveal him to the rest of the world. If we believe in him, we move from knowing to believing and now the transformation that happens in our lives becomes the revealing of the Father to the rest of this world. And so he delivers this insight to Philip. And it's so powerful. I'm so grateful that he asks the question. And Jesus tries to move him in this challenging moment from seeing to believing. And so to move over to our last verse, um, it's found in Acts chapter 8. I need to go ahead and preface it and set it up. This is an interesting verse. Um, in Acts chapter 8, we get the story of the growth of the early church. And, and for me, this gives you a snapshot of the, of the arc of Philip's life, how life continues on, and you can see the fruit of this conversation that Jesus just had. But I need to tell you, um, biblical scholars aren't 100% sure that this is the same Philip. Um, we're introduced 
to another Philip known in, in Acts as, as Philip the Evangelist in chapter 6. When they remember they weren't able to feed all the widows, and so they appoint seven people as deacons, is what we would call them, to then take care of the widows and the orphans and to feed them. And, and so here we get over to chapter eight. He doesn't, Luke doesn't qualify which of the Philips that this is. We just find out that it is one of them. What we do know is that in antiquity, Josephus says this is Philip, the disciple or the apostle. It doesn't matter. Because what we're going to read in this story is indicative of the life of all of the apostles, all of the disciples. When Jesus ascended to the Father and they received the Holy Spirit, the evidence of their life showed up in signs and wonders and miracles. And so whether it's him or not, the story still holds true. But let's read it so you can get a taste of Philip. So in Acts chapter 8, verse 4, the, the uh, persecution has started against the early church And people scatter from Jerusalem and they start to head out to the four corners of the world. And this also pushes the gospel with it. And so in verse 4 it says, Now those who were scattered went from place to place, proclaiming the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah. So here is message. He proclaimed the Messiah to them. The crowds with one accord listened eagerly to what was said by Philip. Check this out. Hearing and what? Seeing. Isn't it interesting that the one who spent his whole life trying to see is now the conduit by which others are able to see? Hearing and seeing the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying with loud shrieks came out of many who were possessed, and many others who were paralyzed or lame were cured. And here's the marker of what happened in the city. So there was great joy in that city. I love knowing that what Jesus prompted and and called him to, we start to see the fruit of. And so in this message, thinking about all of that scripture and pulling it all together, Philip, other than that last chapter that we just read, wasn't really a part of any of the craziness or the things. I mean, like his, he doesn't have a lot of stories that unfold, you know, and when you see the interactions with Philip, the thing that I love most about him is he seems most real. The questions that he asks, the interaction that he takes part in, really speaks to who I am in many regards. He's just kind of that normal guy that's trying to figure it out, who wants to see, who's trying to build a body of evidence, right? And so if you go back and you try to unpack this, um, how many of us would say, Jesus, just show us the Father or show us that you're real? And what was Jesus' answer to Philip? I'm right here. God is right here. Have you not seen enough to know? That this is the plan. And so the invitation that Jesus offers to Philip is to move from seeing to believing, from searching to revealing. And I think my question for all of us is how many of us are here today and we're saying, God, just show us who you are or just reveal yourself to me. And how many of us would Jesus say, just look around. There's so much evidence in your life of the times that I've shown up and led and loved and provided and stood alongside you, that if you just dared sit down and start to fill out some things, you'd go, oh, where have I been all along? Because this is the challenge for all of us in the arc of our lives to move our knowledge about Jesus down to our heart and to allow it to become faith. This is that moment of transformation. And when we allow that to happen and we allow God to start transforming our lives, then what people see in us is Jesus. When Jesus says, I'm going to the Father, what he's saying is that we become the ones that now get to carry that gospel message, just like Philip was doing. 
And we go into our respective areas of the world and we proclaim Jesus as the Messiah. When people look at us, if we're allowing God to do the work inside of us, you know who they see? Not us. Who do they see? Jesus. Allowing him to transform and allowing him to change. And so the question that I think I would ask today is where are you in this story? Have you already allowed that idea of wanting to see to start to change into faith and become a belief? Or are you still stuck? And that's, that's not wrong because I believe we're all in a continuum and we're all figuring it out. And if you're there today, my hope and my prayer is that you'll start to do the work and you'll start to ask the questions, God, where are you? Where can I see you? Show me your work. I want, to be a, I want a palpable experience of where you are. And I'm just crazy enough to believe that when you do that, that God will reveal himself to you. And that faith will become strong because it'll start transforming from that idea of seeing to believing. And if we as a church can get to that place, then there's no question that people will start seeing Jesus because the transformation that will happen will bring about a change in this world. Amen? And you can simply open up your hearts and choose to believe today. And so with that, I'd like to invite our communion stewards to come forward. I say this every time that we receive communion, but what a perfect day to receive communion. Imagine Philip with the desire of wanting to see Jesus. Okay, so keep that in your mind. Is seated at the Last Supper when Jesus goes through the very elements that we're going to go through this table. And Jesus does something so profound. Now, I'm going to tell you, none of them understood what he was doing. But Jesus does something so profound that gave them an anchor in their life. Jesus took bread. So remember, Philip is the guy who wants to see. He wouldn't have understood what Jesus was doing at the time, but but Jesus took bread, he gave thanks, and then he broke it. And he turned and he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Once again, they had no idea what he was doing. But imagine after the crucifixion, Philip who wanted to see would have said, his broken body. Like that makes sense. And, And then, and then Jesus would have taken the cup and he said, and this cup represents a new covenant for the forgiveness of sins. Now they would have been taking part in the Seder meal and maybe they thought they knew what that meant. But when they saw him on the cross with his blood shed, the understanding of the Passover lamb, they would have said, oh. And so for the one who wanted to see, I can imagine for Philip, and maybe this is you today, that when you think about the elements of the table, It's another thing that you can add to the list of a God who's been revealing himself to us from the very beginning. And maybe today, as you gather around and you receive communion, that you can allow this to become life in ways that it never has before. Heavenly Father, we love you. God, and we thank you for your broken body and for your shed blood and your willingness to offer yourself to us. And God, as we gather our hearts together, so many of us, yes, we believe and yes, we have faith, but oh, just show us. God, you do it time and time and time again. You're so patient with us. You're so loving. You're so revealing. And we lean into you today, God. And yet again, we stake our claim in you. Lord, it's not lost on me that there are many, many folks here today that are struggling, whether it's physically, emotionally, or spiritually. But Lord, you meet us right at the point of that struggling. And this is where we discover our faith can be truly palpable, the God that is present to us in our moments of weakness. And I pray that you would sustain us, that you would love us well, and that you would offer us life. 
God, we love you. We trust you. And it's in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now, as we prepare the table, um, just to let you know, when we receive communion, we receive communion by intinction. And so as you come forward, just hold out your hand and we'll place a piece of bread in your hand. You take that bread, you dip it in the cup and receive communion. That way you do not have to be a member of Community Life Church to to receive communion with us. You're here, you're part of the family and you're welcome to join us. Um, We have a gluten-free alternative for those who have special dietary needs. And um, on the stage, whenever we receive communion, we take up a communion offering. And uh, this resource is what helps people with clothing and food and water. And and thank you guys for for always being such a blessing and helping us to take care of that. Um, The table is set. And so I invite the first few rows to go ahead and stand and, and exit your row to your right and come forward as you're able. the heart. 
part of this day and um, allowing us to work through all of that scripture and we look forward to continuing to dive into this series. Um, if you're wondering about this church and you want to make some connections, we'd love to meet you out in the lobby in the Next Steps room. Um, I'll be down front if there's anything we can pray with you about after this service, but thank you so much for, for being such an incredible church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. And as we go from this place, I just pray that you would lead us and guide us and allow us to experience that palpable move of your spirit that helps us to make that transition from seeing to believing each and every day of our lives. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Y'all have a wonderful week. Thank you.